Christmas. Welcome to all, whether you are present in body or listening to the service by any other means. Technology is a wonderful tool. And I want to thank those in charge at the back. Well, I guess one of them is missing today for uh, doing such a wonderful job and bringing this out into the community. During the shutdown, Marge and I listened to your services many a time, and maybe that's part of the reason why we're here today. What a blessing. As a call to worship, I'd like to refer to three scriptural passages. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and these plans don't terminate when you retire, no matter at what age. God may ask something of you totally unexpected. Maybe you remember Ron Burley's message from two weeks ago as he shared his story of God twisting the events in his life for a perfect resolution to a problem he had and Ron had been praying for a long time. I've learned to never say never. If you're surprised to see me up here, so am I. My granddaughter reminded me, Grandpa, that's an honor, and it's so true, it is. God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. And then the second passage comes from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. All praise to, God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And finally, Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Did you notice that we don't even need to ask God to be here? He is present. He's already here. We are already more than two or three. The I am is already here because we are gathered in his name. What a joy and privilege to sing and to speak the praises of our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Our one and only eternal God and Father, thank you for being here in this sanctuary with us. This is the church. These people are the church. We use the name church for a building. And we also say we go to church. So the word has many meanings. You know us better than we know ourselves. You hear our words and our songs, and you know our thoughts. You know what we are going to say and sing. You know already what Pastor Victor is going to speak on, and we are honored that this is so. We never catch you off guard. Father, I pray your blessing upon each one who has a part in this service. I pray your blessing upon all who are listening. May we not only hear your message, but may we also believe it and apply it as we leave this place and enter their mission field. When we meet up with people, may our words and our actions reflect the good news that you sent your Son into this sin-filled world to die in our place and to grant us a gift that we do not deserve, a gift, one that we could never pay for, 
your Son paid the price for us. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our focus on missions of the week, Don and Char, Central Station. I was just sharing with Pastor Victor that uh, Don and Char live in the house that we lived in 20 for 29 years. Beautiful. And Pastor Dean will be on holidays July the 16th to the 7th of August and August 14th to the 20th. Pastor Victor, would you come and talk about VBS? You may have already uh, seen the hint that we have um, an important ministry happening here this week. And I think it would be fitting for us as a church to send these workers into that week with a word of prayer. Um, Eileen, would you stand? And Anna and Judy and uh, Val. And then uh, who else has uh, been uh, invited to join in that ministry? Others, please stand. Whoever's involved in, in reaching those children this week, thank you so much. Look at that. Isn't that fantastic? Stay standing, and we want to pray for you. Father in heaven, you see these servants, these willing servants who are ready to go in your name and take the word of God and deliver it to young hearts and young minds. Children who will, uh, in whom this seed is planted uh, will grow, and your word, as you have said, does not return to you empty. And so, Father, it's with uh, great anticipation that we, uh, that we send these workers uh, into this week to minister to the children, to uh, make the gospel understandable to them, and to help them, help them grasp it, and also then to enjoy the fellowship of believing people. Thank you, Father, for what you have planned this week. I pray, Father, that you would fill these workers with your spirit. I pray also, Father, that you would fill those children with your spirit and that there would be much rejoicing as the week progresses. Thank you, Father, for what you are about to do. Uh, we send them forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. As a teacher, I see what's happening in our schools. As a former teacher, I should say, a, retarded, a retired one. But our schools are being challenged. Myron Dirksen reminded me when I first attended here a number of months ago, remember how you picked up your guitar and brought it to our junior high assembly and we sang gospel songs? Would that happen today? We read from the Bible, we prayed. Were we taking a chance? Well, we didn't care. It was just something we do in Winkler. And I was pleased that we did. Anyway, let's go on with our uh, life in the church. We're still looking for a volunteer to make coffee after the service for those who gather at the back. And uh, there are still daily bread devotionals, and uh, some of you may want a large print one for July and August and September. They're available in the church library. And then praise and concerns. I've been, uh, I'm going to uh, refer to those that uh, uh, came to my attention um, outside of the bulletin. I'd like to draw your attention to um, 
Verna Hebert, whose name is not on the uh, Tabor uh, list, and um, Margaret Suderman, um, a sister to uh, Dorothy Elias and Emma Elias, went into a coma on Thursday afternoon. Her husband Henry is another is in another hospital and unable to be with her. Please pray for Margaret and their family and Henry as well in this difficult time. I know Margaret very well. We grew up in the village of Rhineland. Pray for Alvina Dirksen. She's been in and out of the hospital. She's at home now, but not feeling well at all. And then we've had two rather drastic events happening, Bill Clausen, good friend of ours who I've known for many years, we served at Bethel for a number of years, was called home very suddenly and unexpectedly. And the funeral is today at 4 p.m. at the Bethel Church at Hochfeld. And then a son-in-law to uh, Dave and Eileen Dick passed away very suddenly as well, Marvin Weeb, and that's Keep that family in our prayers. Abe A. Friesen is still at Boundary Trails, Carolyn Ham as well. At Notre Dame, we have Dave Weeb. I used to sit with him at coffee a number of times at the Senior Center. Swan Lake Hospital, Mary Duick and John Suderman. And please pray for Eva Lepke as she is scheduled for knee replacement surgery on August the 2nd. My wife has had that, and it's a bit of a challenge. The recovery is part of it, but uh, wish her well. And Brian Drieger's wife, Lori, passed away on July 21st. Her funeral was held here on Thursday, the 27th. What a change in that family that will bring about, and keep Brian and his family in our prayers. Then there are birthdays that uh, we could celebrate and anniversaries, and uh, I'm sure Victor, Pastor Victor already tallied up those years. I think it's 130. Anyway, and look at the back of your bulletin. There are the names of all the folks that are in, at Salem. I have a second cousin who is there. I happen to be her executor and her power of attorney, so I get to be in touch with Salem quite frequently, and also members in Tabor Home at, at, in Morden, and then at Red River Valley Lodge. So keep these folks in mind, and if you have time, go and visit them. They would really appreciate it. I'm not very good at that, I must admit. You know, you never know what to say for a person who is not well. So sometimes the best thing is to just go and sit there and say nothing, just be there. I've done that a number of times, and that works as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that we can come to you with all our cares, all our worries, and all our hurts. We know that you hear us. You never slumber nor sleep. You are interested in all of us, our health and our well-being. This morning, we call attention to our missionaries, Don and Shahar, as well as the folks at Central Station. We admire them all for doing what many, maybe most of us, are not able to do. 
Help us to be constant and consistent in supporting them in prayer and with finances, without which they could not pursue their tasks successfully. Father, give Pastor Dean and Cheryl great, a great time of refreshing as they take some time off for holidays. Father, we are excited to celebrate with those who enjoy birthdays and anniversaries this week. These are especially eventful at our age. And then we pray for those who find themselves confined to hospital care or in a personal care home. May those who are assigned to care for them do so with love and compassion. Father, remind us during the week to not only think of those who are in special care, but to keep on praying for them. And then, Father, we ache and hurt for those who have experienced a sudden, painful loss of a special loved one in the family. Our prayers go out to the Bill Clausen family and the Dave and Eileen Dick family. It is hard for us to understand why. But we are assured of your love and care for them. May we as a church family do everything we can to uphold them and allow them to lean on us. Father of love and compassion, please grant all hurting people everything they need to remain strong in their faith. Someday, when your Son returns to this earth at your command to rule in a way this earth has never been ruled, we will know and understand what is often beyond our comprehension. And now as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings, we ask that these gifts multiply and cause your kingdom on earth to grow. Amen. As Pastor Victor mentioned, BBS is happening this week, starting tomorrow morning. And uh, the song that we're going to sing right now is actually one of the songs that we will be teaching the kids this week. The theme is Shipwrecked, Jesus Rescues. And we're teaching them about when you worry, just like some of us did this morning a little bit, <laughs> Jesus rescues, everything works out. When you're lonely, Jesus rescues. When you do wrong, Jesus rescues. When you struggle, Jesus rescues. So uh, those are the themes that we'll be teaching the kids this week. So this is the song, uh, Cares Chorus. Please join us.
Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken out of 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 13. That's 2 Peter 3, 1 to 13. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You are to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Thus far today's reading. In our uh, study of Second Peter, we've hit some seldom covered territory, and some of it is difficult to hear and to process. Last week in chapter 2, we took a close look at false prophets. We looked at what kind of people they are and the things that they do. Peter gave us no complimentary assessment of false teachers. They are bold and willful, blasphemous, irrational, ignorant, and instinctive creatures. They are waterless springs, anchorless braggards, trained in greed who crave sin and revel in, the, in their deceptions as they feast with you and entice believers to worship false gods. <clears throat> they promise freedom, yet they are slaves of corruption. So that's a pretty compact uh, statement of what we looked at last time, and it, it gets difficult for us when we understand that there are people that we know uh, that are teaching falsely, and this is how God views them. We are to be alert in their presence and confront them 
and their teaching as soon as we detect it, so that they have no opportunity to lead us astray. We should also take warning because all of us are deceivable, and that is why we study the Word and why we study it together. If you're not in a group that discusses the Bible together, you need to get into one. God has given us his word so that we can know it. <clears throat> and given the availability and the accessibility of the Bible, of the scriptures, it would seem irresponsible uh, on our part not to know the Bible and the truths of scripture. We also learned from Deuteronomy 13 that God has no patience for false teaching. And therefore, I think we conclude that we shouldn't either. God's instruction was to deal with it immediately and decisively. We concluded that we might respond to the false teacher problem by respecting each person's dignity and each one's right to their own thoughts and convictions. But people's words and actions also need to be held up beside the scriptures to see if they align. If not, if after falsehood has been confronted, according to Matthew chapter 18, then we have nothing to do with them. The particularly difficult thing, of course, uh, to face is that uh, most of us know people who have engaged in false teaching. We love them. We do not cut off relationship with them, but uh, we can't worship with them. We also concluded that we need to stay alert. Stay alert, listen to things. If you hear things that, that make you mm, kind of wonder, uh, I know I think in our circles, we used to kind of brush those things aside and think, oh, well, I guess he just has a different understanding, but we shouldn't be so quick to just accept them as, oh, somebody just thinks a little differently than me. Is it right thinking or isn't it not right thinking? And uh, at least have, begin to have conversations about, you know, where did you get that from? And how did you come to that conclusion? Let's stay alert. So what's in store for us in chapter three? <clears throat> in this chapter, Peter introduces to us uh, a theme that is common in the prophets of the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a day of reckoning, a day of trouble, a day of judgment. It is inextricably linked to the last days or the time of the end. Peter begins chapter three by reminding the church to what? reminds them to, to remember the Word of God. I'll just go through the scripture again. He writes, this is now my second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What is he saying? Is he not talking about the message that God wants his people to hear through his prophets? The predictions of the prophets are the writings of the prophets. And to us, the prophets of the Old Testament. 
And the church was also re uh, reminded to remember the commandment of the Lord. So uh, to us, the New Testament, Peter is saying that we need to remember the word of God. So he said, remember the prophets, remember the Lord's teaching. Together, that's, that's the word of God. And remembering it means to study it. <clears throat> We're not remembering a stack of paper with leather binding. We are remembering words, true words, words which God has spoken and he wants us to know. That's what we're studying. To remember the word means to study it. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. So we need to remember the word because scoffers are coming. They may already be here. I'm sure they've always been here. To scoff is to be disrespectful, to ridicule, and to despise. Notice that Peter also says that they will come in the last days. So, <laughs> you know, the difficulty in interpreting exactly what that means, uh, you know, even Jesus referred to these being the last days. Well, that's 2,000 years ago. And so what does last days mean? And yet their last days also kind of means that things are about to wrap up. So however, that's about as clear as the scripture makes it for our sakes. The last days implies an end is coming. And at the end of anything, there is a reckoning, a reckoning of what happened. At the end of a football game, there is a reckoning of which team scored the most points. There's also a reckoning through the evaluation of the game, which happens immediately after, where responsibility lies for each play good or bad, an acknowledgement is given to those who made those plays, good or bad. And all that information goes into uh, team and personal statistics. Similarly, there is a reckoning at the end of a player's career or at any point in the history of the team. Scoffers will come as the end draws near, and if the end is drawing near, that means that day of reckoning is coming near, a day of judgment, the day of the Lord. And scoffers, it says here, will come scoffing. They will not be silent. They will scoff at, any, at anything that has to do with Jesus and his church. Now their scoffing is anchored in their sinful desires. And what, is, what does that mean? It means that you will not be able to reason with them. You know what it's like when you argue with someone who wants what they want, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. It doesn't matter if you have a good argument for not doing what they want to do, they cannot hear the argument. They want what they want. People whose arguments are grounded in what they want 
cannot be dissuaded. No logic works, no reason works, no true words work. In their scoffing, they will cast doubt on your faith. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, number one, the Bible clearly teaches of Jesus' return, so obviously they do not believe God. And number two, they are casting doubt on your faith, suggesting that to believe the scriptures is to believe things that will never happen. Scoffers suggest by their questions that you are the fool. Has that ever happened to anyone here? <laughs> it's happened to me. <clears throat> but Peter answers that suggestion in verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So how, does, how is this statement or this knowledge a rebuke to the scoffer? As Peter says, they deliberately overlook important facts. That the heavens, which Genesis records, were created by God a long time ago, and that the earth was formed by God, speaking it into being, and that the earth was also judged and destroyed by God through water at the time of Noah. These facts tell us that God is the creator of all things and that he created through his word, which this passage says over and over. But the one who creates is also the one who judges. In other words, scoffers do not recognize the power and authority of the creator and the judge of the universe. They deliberately overlook that. They speak and act like fools, disregarding the fact that they will one day stand before the God that they mock, and they will be judged. There's more. Verse 7. By the same word, the word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Amos all speak of judgment by fire. The very prophets that Peter tells the church to remember are the ones who tell of this fire uh, by judgment, or this judgment by fire. As early as Genesis, we see God's judgment of fire rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And it serves as an example throughout the scriptures of the judgment to come for the ungodly. The scoffer's suggestion that the promise of Jesus coming is an empty one is pure lunacy. Scoffers do not look at the facts. Remember, they are driven by their sinful desires. Facts don't matter to them. They deliberately ignore the word of God and in doing so, ignore the judgment of water which took place in Noah's day, and they ignore the judgment of fire which is to come. 
That would be like driving through Winkler at 100 kilometers an hour, knowing that it has happened before that someone got a really big fine, and that if it happens to you, you would be fined again. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you go knowing that God did judge and will judge? Why do you go ahead and scoff? Same thing. It doesn't take much common sense to work your way through that. But the scoffer's logic doesn't allow him to see the error in his thinking. Isn't that amazing? They just cannot see. I think there are times you may have wondered, am I talking to a fool? And you're talking to someone, explaining to them logical, sensible things, and they just, they don't get it. However, what scoffers see as a failed promise on God's part, right? When will he come? When, when, he, when he said he was coming. Peter describes this as the Lord's patience. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Time is not a hindrance to God. Neither is God slow. He's patient. He's waiting for people to come to him. And I think this is one of Scripture's great encouragements. It shows us the mercy and compassion of God. He waits for us to see him, to come to him. For those of us who have unsaved children or grandchildren, we have the assurance that God is not eager to cut them off, but he desires them to reach repentance. There is yet time to reach them, but not time to waste. For the day of the Lord does come. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. No one knows when that day is, and no one knows how to calculate it. Even Jesus said, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly but also its fires will prepare all things for judgment. If you've ever wandered onto an old abandoned farmyard, uh, you, don't, you don't really see much. You see tufts of grass and fence lines and tree lines and some fallen buildings, but you don't, you don't know what's all there. 
You know that there are unseen things all over the yard, but you, but you can't see them. You don't know where, where they are. You also know that if you set fire to that yard, that everything that is there will be exposed. You'll see old foundations. You'll find piles of hardware. You'll see where the well was. You'll see where tools were left and forgotten. And you'll see where they used to burn garbage and where the outhouse was and where, why they built the barn where they did. And you can see lots of things when it's all burnt clean. A fire exposes a lot. When the fires of the day of the Lord consume the earth, nothing will be hidden. Nothing that you or I have done will be hidden. All the deeds of man will be exposed and judgment will begin. The very thing that the scoffer deliberately ignores, the church is instructed to remember, and that is the Word of God. If we don't read the Bible, if we don't study the Scriptures, if we don't preach the Word, we are at risk of becoming scoffers ourselves. The Bible is a living Word. It shapes our thinking. It purifies our conscience. It tests our resolve and it points the way to life. Without the living word to renew our minds, we lose our ability to understand and defend what we believe. Why is that? Because we forget. I don't think anyone here is going to argue me on that one. We forget. As I was preparing this message, I began to type that God promised Noah that he would not again judge the world with water. The Spirit prompted me to turn to Genesis and see exactly how that was written down. Do you know what it says? <laughs> it doesn't say that. <laughs> At least where I looked first. It says, Genesis 8, verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, he didn't say it to Noah, he said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So I was rebuked in my assumption that I was writing down exactly what the scripture says. But then I was encouraged when I read a little further and I found what I had been write, writing. And it reminded me that I do forget. I need to keep reading and check the scriptures so that what I write down, what I say, what I preach is true. Therefore, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? <laughs> it almost sounds like a question, but it's not really a question, because in the question he gives the answer. So let's ask that question another way. 
Since all things visible will pass away, how, will we how should we live? If you know that everything you can see is one day gone, how should we live? Imagine it for a moment. No vehicle, no house, no land, no animals, no shelter, no food, no money, nothing. Imagine that there's no sun, no moon, no stars, no sky, no earth. Nothing. The only things that you can see are people and the Word of God. So now, with everything else stripped away, in what, what do you think you should invest your time and effort in, if that's all that now exists? This is not a ridiculous question. Only people in the Word of God, from everything we can see, go to eternity. So does that help us focus on what is important in how we live? One thing that does matter is relationship. We have relationship with each other. As brothers and sisters, we together make up the Bride of Christ. Jesus is not betrothed to millions of brides. He is betrothed to one bride. Individually, we become part of that bride. And that's why we make a commitment to the local church when we get baptized. And in a sense, God does not save millions of individuals. God saves for himself a people, a treasured possession, the apple of his eye, the people of God. Are we investing time and effort in our relationships with each other? working to genuinely love each other, forgive each other, live in peace with each other, working at being one. Jesus prayed that in his prayer, right? That we would be one as he and the Father are one. Are we committed to relationship with each other to be one? You know the challenges of uh, uh, married people know the challenges of trying to be one with one person. It's not without challenge. But you know what it requires. Any one of us has, has had a good friend, and even, and even there, you have to give and take to be of one mind about things. And there's, there's much grace for mistakes. There's much forgiveness so that you can continue walking together. Do I do that for every person in this room? Do you do that? Is there anyone in this congregation that you try to avoid? Is there anyone whose feet you would not wash? Is there someone here whom you're holding at a distance because of mistrust of, from some past word or deed? or just because somebody doesn't quite see things the way you do? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there something you need to confess to make things right with someone? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? 
Or are your relationship challenges always someone else's fault? Brothers and sisters, we need to clean these things up. If we have difficulty openly, open, <laughs> openly loving each other, let's address those things with humility and much grace. At the Last Supper, Jesus said this to his disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So far as it is possible, let's make sure that we are clean with each other. And don't wait for someone to come to you if you know that there's something that needs to be cleaned up. You go. The Lord is with you. Go in love and humility and make it right. It can be done, and the rewards far outweigh the hardship of doing it. Also, are we investing time and effort in our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if you love me, that's how we have relationship with him, right? We love him. If we love him, he says, you will keep my commandments. So if you have relationship with Jesus, obedience is not an option. It, it's a must. If we disobey our Lord, we demonstrate that we do not love him. Have you been ignoring commands that you need to obey? Obedience is important, and I've already talked about Bible reading, but another important piece of our relationship with God is prayer. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Our prayers don't need to be long and lofty and fancy. You don't need to pray like the person that you think prays so very well. It's unlikely that you will impress God with your words. Rather, be thankful. Express thanks to him. Tell him what's on your mind. Trust him with your thoughts. He knows your needs. Talk to him. And then open your Bible and let him talk to you. That's how he talks to us. 
It's all written down. Everything he wants you to know is written down. Read it. He wants to talk to you. When all else is stripped away, these are the things that matter. In Peter's words, we are to be people who live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How is that day hastened? I believe it's by doing these other things, by being holy, which means set apart to God, right? Set yourself apart to God, that you belong to him. Being godly, which is to walk in his ways, obeying the Lord and loving each other, the stuff we just talked about. That's being holy. My dear friends, the day of the Lord is coming. The scoffer ignores it to his own detriment. Remember the word of God and walk in it. May God give us much grace to follow him and to face the scoffers. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for that precious gift of telling your people what you expect of them and guiding us and showing us and teaching us and waiting for us. We've looked at all these, well, of this letter of Second Peter, and a lot of it is kind of deep and heavy. But we also get the sense that it's really important. It's really important how we live our lives. It's really important, our relationships with one another and our relationship with you. For in the end, that is all there is. That is all there is. So, Father, fill us with your Spirit. Move us to do the things that need to be done. And then, Father, also give us your joy the joy of walking with you, with each other, to the end of our days, with our faith intact, as we look forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb, when we will be reunited with all those that have gone on before, and we will be one, as you and the Father are one. We look forward to that day. Until then, keep us. And we do it, Father, with conviction and with joy. We want to follow you. We choose you. In Jesus' name, amen.
blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.